Well, good morning. We've been uh, going through, well, I say we've been going through the book of Proverbs. We are going through the book of Proverbs, uh, but more on a thematic sort of, of basis. Uh, Proverbs, fascinating uh, book, uh, a, a man is trying to teach his son uh, wisdom, how to deal with life. Not always the easiest task, mind you. But, but, but Solomon n- knows that what Rehoboam, crown prince, doesn't know yet. Young guy. He's a grown man, but, but young guy. But, but Solomon knows that life every day is filled with situations, filled with opportunities. They're filled with defining moments that are sometimes disguised as mundane, uh, trivial things. But Solomon knows that the way you respond to those will determine the trajectory of your life. The way you respond to those will really determine whether your life is one that's approved, that your life, whether your life is one that's blessed or not. And so he, he goes through, and he's going through all kinds of, of different uh, life issues. He's not leaving a whole lot unchecked. Uh, now, if you weren't here uh, last two weeks, in our study, I want to kind of encourage you to go to our webpage and check out, download the uh, uh, messages because they're really kind of foundational for this whole uh, study. Now, what we're doing today is we're looking at really our first specific uh, situation that you might find yourself in in, in life. And as I was looking about at this, thinking this through, this situation is really kind of an umbrella situation. I mean, it's going to be a part of your life, whether you're a young person or whether you're old. Regardless of where you're living, regardless of your health, regardless of your relationships, this thing is going to be with you, causing some anxiety, causing some stress, causing some temptation. Up until the day you die, it just is. It's an incredibly difficult thing to negotiate, to navigate. It's got the opportunity to be your greatest temptation. If there's one thing that's going to steal your heart, this is probably it. Uh, this issue is uh, going to require in your life much time. It's going to require much emotional energy. It's, gonna, it's, it's the number one reason families blow apart. This issue is number one for family fights. It's one of your top for marital breakdown. This is the issue that will blow up families of extended families as as well. This this issue, because of it, there is much envy, there is much jealousy, there is hatred, there is homicide, there are wars. Because of this issue, our prisons are full. Because of the consternation and the, the disillusionment that this thing causes, can cause to all of us, all kinds of substance abuse and alcoholism and suicide and mental illness, because of this Issue, And so Solomon knows the power here. And so he's going to talk to his son and say, you need to understand. You need to see this through God's eyes. And this issue is our finances. They're always with us. And maybe different points in life, they, they affect us in different ways. But there's always this anxiety, this struggling, this wrestling match. Now, if you want counsel about finances, you would probably, you should talk to someone who understands something about finances, right? Now you got the Merrill Lynch and Bain Weber and EF Hunt. All these guys telling you they know the most, but who do you listen to? Well, maybe you should contact Mark Zuckerberg. 
because he's worth $72 billion. I think he knows something about money. You might not like social media. Mark Zuckerberg loves social media. Maybe you want to talk to Warren Buffett, who's worth $90 billion, or Bill Gates, who's worth $92 billion. That's just a lot of money. Um, Jeff Bezos, the, the founder of Amazon, just recently climbed to the top. He is the richest man in modern history. His net worth is $110 billion for one guy. That's, that's a, we, I bet he has some good things to say about money. He probably understands a little about money. But if you go back a few years... Andrew Carnegie was worth, at today's standard, $310 billion. The richest man, one of the richest men who've ever lived on this planet, uh, John D. Rockefeller, actually was number two, John D. Rockefeller, $400 billion net worth. That's crazy, right? Can't even figure those numbers. If you look for the richest person who ever lived on this planet, according to MSN, he is worth net worth is $2.2 trillion. And it's none other than King Solomon, the guy who wrote Proverbs. That would make Solomon, what, five times wealthier than the richest man who's ever lived, than, than, than number two, Rockefeller. That would make him 20 times wealthier then Bezos, I think Solomon probably understood something about money. And then when you figure also that Solomon is also the wisest man who ever lived, God said that, that nobody would touch his wealth, which has been true. God also said nobody comes near his wisdom. So he's five, 20 times wiser than anyone else who's ever lived and the richest. You think I got to listen to what he has to say. And on top of that, at least his words in Proverbs, other things he wrote in Scripture, inspired by God. And so you've got somebody who has that kind of credentials. It's straight up foolish, isn't it, to not listen to what they have to say about finances. And so Solomon knows his son's kicking in. His son's going to inherit an awful lot of money, right? And he, but he's got to understand it right. And so Solomon goes through the book of Proverbs, and he comes up with multiple financial principles for life. We could easily have done a whole series on financial wisdom from Solomon. You know, through the book of Proverbs, there are several, several. But we're only going to look at one, one principle, financial principle, that I think kind of is the umbrella over all the others. But before we do that, we've got to give you some... Um, understanding of the outline of, of Proverbs. It's just helpful in our study. I don't know if you tried to read Proverbs lately, if you've ever read Proverbs, but, but a couple things about it. The first nine, Solomon wrote most of them. He didn't write all the Proverbs, but, but first nine chapters, basically they follow an outline, they follow a theme. Generally speaking, every chapter has a theme and he, they follow it. But once you hit chapter 10, from 10 to 31, Things shift radically. I mean, things are, are changing. It's like Solomon will talk about one topic, and the very next verse, eight words later, he's changing it to another. So he's talking about sex. Then he's talking about communication. Then he's talking about hard work. Then he's talking about friends and family and, and back to marriage. And he's just bouncing all over the place. And it keeps going like that all the way through. Uh, and people have tried to figure out his 
organization. Why, how in the world did they put this together? It would have been nicer, wouldn't it, if they just put all the verses about the tongue over here, and then all the verses about money right kind of here, and then all the verses about marriage over there. But they're all mixed up. What's he doing? What is this about? I think it's pretty simple, actually. I think that the organization is, is just like life. I mean, it's just life. I, I, I get up in the, the morning, and, and I, I go out to get in my car, and maybe it doesn't start right away, and so I get frustrated a little bit, and then I get it going, and I get to work, and I have a, a time of prayer, and I'm with, with the, the Lord, and, and then I'm studying, I'm working in my, my, my books, and it's time to go home for, for lunch, and so I get home and kiss Teresa and start playing a game with Sam, and then, oh, I better get back to work, because, you know, they expect me to get, get back to work. So I get to work, and then Herb walks in my office with some financial issue at the church, we got to think through and talk through that, and then I get a phone call, someone's life just crashed, and then, then Teresa texts me about a bill that we got, and now how in the world are we going to handle this one, and I go, oh, no, and then I got to get Get home because I got to cut the yard, and, tre- and Sammy wants me to finish the game, and I kiss Teresa again. And then you get up the next morning, you do it all over again, and it's just life. This is what Proverbs is. It's just life. It's just the way it works. And so, if you want to do a thematic study, kind of like what we're doing a little bit, he might address this subject in chapter ten, and then he's going to address it again in fourteen. Then he'll address it three times in twenty-two. Then he'll address. So you kind of pull in verses from all all over. And so you'll see as we do the rest of this uh, study the year the next next several weeks that uh, that's kind of what we're doing. We're pulling from from different places. Now our, our text this morning, chapter nineteen, verse. 17, and it says this, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, that's the Lord, will repay him for his deed. Just stare down that verse for a second. It's an interesting verse, isn't it? Now, the principle that we're going to get from here and from, from the rest of Proverbs, actually, you can go the whole Bible, but we're sticking to Proverbs right now, is that that. A generous life is a blessed life. Uh, now, the, the, the word blessed, I tell you, I tried hard this week to cut the word because it's a churchy word and sometimes it really doesn't communicate. Yeah, yeah. But it's a big word and it's a hard word to try to replace because this is what it means in the Bible, blessed. Blessed, it's, it's, like I say, it's a big word. It starts with God's approval. So a blessed life, in this regard, blessed finances, is God looking and saying, that's right, that's the way you're supposed to do it. He's nailing it. This is, that's God's approval. And then because God approves, there are consequences, there are awards. I think that it's not even necessarily awards per se as much as it's like uh, gravity. There's a, a law that's in place in the physical world that if you keep it, life goes much better for you than if you try to violate it. There are laws in the spiritual world, and I think this generosity thing is one of them. And when you keep it, there's a windfall that kind of comes your way in different ways. And so it's, yes, you're, 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 you're nailing it. That's, that's, that's right. Uh, generosity. Very interesting as we talk about generosity. Generosity kind of runs on two rails, right? Uh, be generous to the poor. 
Be generous to the poor. There's giving, sacrificial giving, because it's not just giving, it's quantity here, right? Generous is giving above and beyond. You go out after church, you go eat someplace, and your waitress was pretty good, and you leave her a dime. You know, okay, yes, you gave. I don't think she's thinking generous. I don't think that's a word. She's thinking words, but that's not one of them that's coming across her mind. Generous is not part of it. So, so it's giving, but giving above and beyond, giving beyond what's expected, maybe giving beyond what's, what's needed. It, it, it's it's uh, just a marvelous, extraordinary sort of, of gift that's, that's generous. Now, there's lots of reasons why we can be generous. Can we just mention this? Because I grew up in the church. Um, I can tell you a, a dead dog story. You know, we call it the Baptist bus story. You know, you're going to go out of here and get hit by a bus. And so so you, you, you know that, that you can pull the heartstrings. And we're going, oh, man. And once you pull the heartstrings and you get everybody roped in emotionally, see, that's when it's time to pass the plate, right? You're like, okay, oh, yeah, I'll give. Okay. And we, we've just manipulated. We, we give because of our emotion. Or maybe we give because of guilt. Okay, here we go again. All right, well, good Christians give. I should give. I think I'll just give. We give out of guilt. Or we we give out of, I grew up in a legalistic church where you gave uh, because you were scared to death not to. Because if you didn't give, oh, man, you got in God's wrath is against you, and you just have to try to keep his wrath appeased by doing things that uh, accomplish that. Or maybe we give uh, trying to manipulate other people. You know, I'm going to control my image, uh, Ananias and Sapphira style. I just want you to think about me in certain ways, and so I got, get my giving so you can see parts of it, not a whole lot because then you think bad things, but just a little bit to make you think that, and we arrange it that way. But there's a motivation for giving. It's the only motivation that scripture recognizes. It's the only one that meets God's approval, and that is love. We know this, but let me just point this out. John three sixteen. Britt referred to it. For God so loved that he gave. Love gives generosity is not something I do generosity is someone I am generosity is not a money issue generosity is a love issue we can do anybody can do generous things once in a while and not be a generous person right we, we, we know this but if you are a generous person you cannot help but do generous things it's just the way we. God so loved that he gave. First, first John 4.10, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave. Gave his son. Uh, it's, it's Romans 5.8. 5, 8. God manifested his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were in a mess, while we were needy, while we couldn't take care of ourselves. God supplied the, the, the solution. Jesus died for us. Wouldn't it be horrific? If God came to us and said, wow, you guys are bad. <laughs> oh, man, so you're going to have to go to hell. Whoa, I'm just telling you, I know. You don't want to go there. Bad place. And that's where you're heading. <sighs> I'm so sorry for you. You know, I hope you can figure it out because, boy, that's not good. Yeah, oh, I, I hurt for you. But would that be love? No. Because if you, you love, your heart is open, but your wallet also is open. Uh, to, to say that, that, that my emotion is for you, but my bank account isn't for you, that's not love. Uh, love is when I see someone who has a need, 
and I reach into the resources that I might claim as mine, that are at least under my authority, and I could use them for me, but I give them to you to help you. Uh, James makes this real clear, doesn't he? He says, if you see a brother or sister who's poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. I trust that things go well for you. Hope they work out. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He says, that's useless. That's not love. Next verse, he's going to say, faith without works is dead. That's not the way you want to go. Uh, Generosity. We're going to say this too, because generosity is not, it's not, it's not, um, emotional giving. Generosity is, is, is it's, it's head giving. It's not emotional giving. And like, emotions play a part, but, 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 but hear me for a second. Uh, we think sometimes that just throwing money at situation is the way to go, but, but God does not say, say that. There is a, a understanding throughout Proverbs, but through understanding throughout all of Scripture, that's a different paradigm for finance, but it's a biblical paradigm for finance, and that's this. Everything I have comes from God. Henceforth, I am not an owner. I am a manager. And he's given me that which he has in order that I might bless other people. Because God gave, loved and gave. He wants me to love and, and give. And so he, he saw me in trouble. And so when I see other people in trouble, I reflect him when I do this. And so, so I, I, I do that. And at the end of time, there will be an accounting process. And I'll sit down with him and we'll open up the books. And we'll look and see how I managed that which he gave me, his stuff. That's the biblical understanding of this ball of life, basically. Um, look what he says in, is it... Uh, Eleven. There we go. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. Who he who hates giving someone a loan? He who hates co-signing? Now, now, stay with me. Next verse. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Now, no, notice, notice this. These are both talking about co-signing or um, indiscriminately promising uh, giving. It, now, notice there's no command not to co-sign. There's no command in Scripture not to co-sign. But what he's saying is you better be wise. You better be careful. This is God's money. You don't just throw it away. Ten of every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and GoFundMe account, and TV evangelist, and and everybody who's got a picture of a starving kid or or a devastated area. You, you, you know, you be wise with your generosity because we're going to stand before God and give an account of how we were generous. So be generous, but be wise in your generosity. He says in 1917, looking at the verse, he says, whoever is generous to the poor. So let's just look at that for a second. Who is the poor? Now, we, we think sometimes, when you think of this, so you think, generous to the poor, it's usually somebody in our mind uh, that I'm going to be generous to, right, is somebody who's just down on their luck, who's tried really hard, but they just have been dealt a bad hand, and I'm glad it wasn't dealt to me, and it was, but I'm going to help them out. Um, but if there's somebody who got themselves in that mess, 
or if there's an addiction issue there, or if there's a, a, a mental illness there, or if there's, you know what, that doesn't qualify. I'm not going to help him work with that person. Well, Solomon doesn't give us that out. He says, be wise. Don't throw money down a black hole type deal. But he doesn't give us the out to us to be the judge as to why somebody is struggling. Therefore, I will help them or not. He doesn't go down there. Poor, poor, poor. In ancient civilization, this is amazing to me because every ancient civilization uh, viewed poor people as basically subhuman. Um, if in a world where your net worth was de- what your your worth was determined on your net worth. Poor people were worthless, right? In, 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 a, in a world that said, what have you done for me lately? Poor people were just a leech. They were just trouble. They were high maintenance. They were going to cost me. This is the word. Well, then the, the God comes around. And, and the, 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 the uh, Judaic ethic, the Christian ethic, is suddenly the poor are given rights. Amazing. Amazing. And so, so, so Solomon, get, get the picture here, right? He's talking to the, the crown prince and he's saying, now listen, one day you're going to come, people are going to come across your path who are just poor. And you need to know that this is the re- way the rest of the world sees them. They're leeches. They're not getting my money. I'm going to take care of myself. That's not the way people in covenant with God respond. No, no, no. We respond with generosity. We recognize that God has given to us when we didn't deserve it, we weren't worthy of it, he has given us, so we respond in generosity. This principle's got to guard and run your heart and run your bank account and run your portfolio, Rehoboam. Don't forget it. It's, this is how we respond. We respond to the poor in that, in that regard. Now look at this, this, this uh, next line. Amazing. I think this is amazing. 1917. Uh, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Now, you know, if I would have said that you could do something to be in, make God indebted to you, now that'd be like heresy, right? That's, that's a bad thing to say. You're going to make the Lord is indebted to me? Yeah, that, I, I, can't, I can't make that up. But God can say that. And, and the Lord says, when you give to the poor... You need to understand, this is the way I look at it, God says. It's a, it's a, you're loaning to me. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing. I think I'm going to give. It's just money I'm not gonna, never going to see again. It's money that's going to be wasted. It's money that I could spend for something else, but okay. God says, no, 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 no. That's not the way this is working. This is a loan you're making to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll repay you on this. Let's, let me read this. This is a text that you, you know. I don't have this one on the screen. It's just a little bit too big for the screen. But it's Matthew, Matthew 25, in, in uh, verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, you've been approved. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When did we see you? When did we do that? We didn't do this for you. I don't know what you're talking about. When did we do this? And then he says this. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when? When did we see you like that? Lord, we would never have treated you that way. When did we see you like that? And he says this, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Is that a convicting, intense text or what? That, that, that people, God says, uh, he's associated himself with not with those the least of these, with the poor. Now, you got to know he doesn't love the poor more than the rich. But he knows that in this world, the rich have the power, the rich have the protection, the poor often are vulnerable, they are often exploited. You get some people over here who've got wickedness in their heart. There are a few of them, right? They can exploit and manipulate and hurt and sell into slavery and destroy their lives. And God says, you better think twice about what you do or don't do to these because you're doing it to me. And this is why we have Proverbs 14.31. says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors his maker. You, you, you follow his logic? He's saying the poor man is made in God's image. And they look like they're subhuman maybe, or they look like they're a leech maybe, or they look like they're trouble maybe, but you need to understand regardless of where they're from and where they've been, regardless of their addiction or regardless of their mental capacities, you need to know they are created in my image. Nothing else in this world other than people are in my image. Priceless to me, sent my son for him. So think twice. When, when, you, when you hammer, when you mock, when you ridicule, when you neglect, when you judge, when you blame, God says, what you've done to them, you've done to me. God, is, God associates himself so closely with the poor. So much so that he says, when you loan to them, you're not really loaned, you give to them, it's a loan to me. You're, you're loaning this to me. And... Uh, that's why he says in 1917, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay for his deed. Boy, that's a nice one, isn't it? You loan to me, God says. Every time you give, give away, you give to the poor, you're loaning to me, and you got to know I always pay my bills. You know, I always pay off. And God pays off boatload more interest than what you, you, you paid out. 
always, always, always. How does he pay? Well, just uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. One of the ways Solomon gets this whole thing rolling. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You're thinking, well, I don't drink wine and I don't have any vats, but I like the sound of that. That's pretty cool. I'm not, what does that exactly mean? Is this literal or is this metaphorical? And I think yes is the answer. He does. God has all kinds of ways at his disposal to reward, to pay back. And he does pay back on a material basis. He does. In uh, uh, Philippians 4.19. This is a much quoted, much misquoted text though, right? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, let me mention a couple things with this. The health, wealth, and prosperity guys out there, a lot of guys on TBN, a lot of these people, they say that God wants you to be wealthy and God wants to prosper you and God wants you to be healthy and whenever you're not, it's wrong and God wants to give you and if he hasn't, it's only because you don't have enough faith and blah, 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 heresy, heresy, heresy. But what has happened, I think, in the evangelical world is we've seen that and dissected that correctly for what it is and we swung the pendulum so doggone far the other direction. We say he's never going to forget. It's all spiritual blessings. There's never any material thing about it. And that's just not true. Uh, Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But again, let me unpack this. Let me unpack this. Because who he's writing to, don't pull this verse out of context. He's writing to the Philippians. Philippians, who he says right in the context, they have gifted him over and over and over they have taken care of, of churches that were struggling. And when famine came through and, and people, br- brothers and sisters, were hungry, these guys took care of so much so that they were now struggling. They gave so much away. And to those people, to the people who have practiced generosity over and over again, Paul says, my God will supply your need. This is not a verse we can claim for us unless we're practicing generosity. This verse is for those who are practicing generosity, who are, who are giving away to God, who are making sure his kingdom works, who are, who are honoring the poor, he's not going to let those folk uh, starve to death. He's going to take care of them. So he does. You can't give in order to get. We all know that. Once you start going down that road, all bets are off. Okay, you're on your own. Uh, you don't give to get. God does not work that way. But he does. Make sure. Materially, he's going to reward going to pay back this loan. And this is one of the ways he pays it back. But he also pays it back in other ways. He pays it back spiritually. Uh, and this is huge. Uh, Proverbs 25. Misunderstood type of text, but let's read this one. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, what's it talking about there? Man, I heard, I was taught growing up, it's your enemy, man. Don't hurt him. Don't hit him. See that? Then, 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 you know, let God hit him. And so what you got to do is you got to like, like, like be kind to him because then, it, then, then whatever fire he's going to get, it's like gasoline's poured on it. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like sticking the knife in his back by being kind. It's like be, it's like a holy vengeance kind of thing. Is that really, really, you think when Jesus said, love your enemy, 
Do you think God is really saying, this is how you can get back at him? It's not a, uh, what he means by this, the burning coals thing, is, is he's your enemy here. He's not asked for your help, but he's in need. And he knows you're his enemy. And when he sees you, open your resources to meet his needs. It, it cuts his heart. It helps him realize. It's not going to be every case. It's not the way Proverbs work. We know that. But it cuts his heart when he sees that you would love him. It brings repentance. It brings fruit. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that one of the biggest evangelistic techniques is generosity. Uh, we don't like that technique. But one of the biggest gen- evangelistic techniques is me opening my heart in love to this world because the world loves money. It's all they've got. They worship. And when they see you're not worshiping it and you're giving it away for them. And this is why Jesus said if anyone compels you to go one mile, you go two. Not just to show them that you can go two miles. Not, if anyone asks for your tunic, give them your cloak also. Because the generosity that God uses in a major, major way. Lots of fruit in generosity. So for others... Also for our, our ourselves. By the way, let me just side rail this for a minute. Uh, parents of young kids, how you teach generosity. Again, generosity is not a thing they do. Generosity is who they are. How you teach that is by modeling that, right? And when they see you being generous, it just kind of becomes who they you, You've taught them godliness, Uh which far exceeds any fiscal returns you could get. Uh, but also it works for you in this regard. Um, riches uh, are neither wrong nor right in and of themselves. It's just metal. It's just money. It's just an intangible thing. It's the love of it that's the problem. Problem is the love of it is kind of embedded in, in our hearts. And so this riches thing can be like Dr. Jekyll's potion. And if we hang on to it too tight... It's, it's, it's toxicity kind of gets into our, our, our system and it can make us horrific folk. Um, in Acts chapter 10, this is a great, great text. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So this is a, a, a Greek guy, a Roman guy. He's not, not Jewish, but he's a God-fearer, so he likes the Jewish, most of the Jewish faith. Uh, that, that's where he's at. He's, he's a centurion, so he's like white collar. He's an officer. He's, he's, he's not your enlisted guy. He's doing okay financially. He is, uh, uh, giving to, to people, poor people, giving alms. But that which is driving it is his quest for God. He's praying. He's seeking God. And it says that about the ninth hour that day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, which is probably, I think, what any of us would do. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And you've got to love that. It's not just, well, okay, you've been praying and I've heard that. No, God hears, but God sees too. 
And if he just hears, but he's not seen, I don't know if you get the same result. When he sees that your actions are matching your words, we got something going on. So now send to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Long story short, Peter's praying as well. And this angel guy says, go with these, these people. So he, cause he sent these folk to come get him. And he goes there and he goes to Cornelius. This is a Harris paraphrase. And he says, Cornelius, why in the world did you call me? And Cornelius says, I was hoping you could tell me. I'm just praying and hanging out. And this angel says, call Peter. So I called you. What do you got for me? And so Peter gives him the gospel. Says, well, there's Jesus. And he died and he rose and through him we have forgiveness. We have hope in his name. And suddenly, read the story. Great, great story. Suddenly, Cornelius, and he was a neat guy before. He cared for God before. But his relationship with God jumps multiple steps. He understands experience with God, the hand of God, the power of God, like he never, ever would have before when we are generous when we let go of that stuff that wants to hold on to our heart when we let go of it we open ourselves to a relationship with God that is just incredible you can't walk close to God without it let me read I don't have this one on the screen but Proverbs uh, 22 13 just, just listen to this. this is whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. When we let go of the things that would, would hold us, the financial thing we, we, we give, God works in our heart. And I mean, that potion can do some tough stuff to us. It makes us arrogant. Chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 of, of Proverbs. He says this, he says, it's a prayer. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't know if I like that part of the prayer. Don't give me, I can see they don't give me poverty, but don't give me riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? You know, that's a quote from who? Pharaoh. I've got the wealth of Egypt. And you say I should let the people go. Who is the Lord? What wealth can do that? It can make the false security. It can make me feel that I'm 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 there. That I'm a, I'm arrived. I've I've got it together. Now we we know wealth can buy a a house, but not a home, right? It can buy a. a, a quiet but not peace it can buy sex but not intimacy it it can buy a clock but not time it buys lots of good things wealth can buy but it doesn't buy any ultimate things it it can't get there it it, it just can't get there so when we we bow down to the idol of gold we hold hoard it we we see ourselves as owners not managers we 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 disavow the the Commands to be generous. Uh, we've shown we're like the rich young ruler. Lord, I, I know the, the word and I want, I've obeyed most of it, but I'm not going to let go of my stuff. He's no part with Jesus. He thinks he might. He's got no part with Jesus there. Uh, also, it makes us, it makes us uh, arrogant, but it can also make us straight up mean. It just makes us mean. It can. Wealth can make an individual straight up mean. It's verse 18, I think, or chapter 18. Is that right? The poor use entreaties. Please, thank you. The poor, they, they, they 
use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. It can just make you rude. You've got your rights. Don't anyone bother me. I've got the power. It, can, it works in a negative way. It makes you shallow. Next text. Look at this. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Either way, this is going to work. You want to, either way, it, it works. Whether you're a Rockefeller or a Howard Hughes, however you're going to live that out, reality is this. It can make you chase chase image and chase uh, frivolous, empty things. It can make you consumed with, with self and what others think about you. That's kind of what wealth can do to us. It, it can hurt us. It destroys. This is why. He says, you got you to let it go. You got to let it go. Listen, John Ortberg mentioned this. This was fascinating, I thought. He said, in a, a study of high school students, they took high school students who were a grade, a couple grades below in their reading, right? And they divided them into two groups, group A and group B. Group A served. Group A had to mentor and tutor and serve. Group B, nothing. They could do whatever. There's absolutely no cost involved. They served nobody. They didn't have to be generous. They could just think about themselves. When the study was completed, group A, 12 times more likely to graduate from high school than group B. It says students involved in volunteering are less likely to drop out, less likely to be involved in substance abuse, less likely candidates for teenage pregnancy, more likely to go to college, less li- more likely to vote, more likely to have a higher level of self-esteem. You know, they did the same study with people in their 80s. And guess what they came out with? Those in their 80s who volunteered with school children had a higher level of life satisfaction, a higher level of mental health, less loneliness, less depression, and a higher mortality rate than those who did not. So when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive, he's not just blowing out air. It really is. Because God says when you're generous, I will repay you. All kinds of different ways. But I will. And he does. And so the issue is, do we hold to this or not? I think when this generosity first started getting into my heart, and I got a long, 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 long way to go, but I was out of college. I was working at my, my first job in church. My, my whole package was $16,000. I mean, and that means insurance and everything. So I probably, I think I made like $10,000 out of that. But I was making two eighty-five an hour dishwashing. And so, you know what? I was rich, man. I was rich. Um, but I had a hard time paying the bills, of course. Um, I went to this concert and they had Compassion International. Never heard of these guys, but they had all these pictures of kids out there. And you had a the goal was you get one of these kids' pictures, and they become like your kid, and you got to support them at like 20 bucks a month. I didn't have any money to support anybody. I thought, oh, I can't do that. But there's one kid I kind of locked eyes with through his picture. He's probably 10 years old. Or I, I can't do it. So I walked away. I ended up coming back to the table several months later, several, months, several minutes later. Um, his picture's still there. Thinking, all right, all right, I'm going to do this, and God, I just hope I'm not setting this poor kid up. I'm going to have to write him the next month and tell him I can't do this anymore. So, okay, so I sign up. I take his picture, Nankamlan. He's from Thailand. They said, I'm not sure what to do. They said, write him letters. So, okay, so I would write this kid letters, and he would write me back letters, and I would write him more letters. And I wasn't married. I had no kids. I, uh, this was 
special bond is being made here, right? After two years, I get a letter from Compassion International saying, um, Nicolin and his family have vacated. We're not sure where they are. Please discontinue your support. Well, I was mad. I was angry. I, I, I called them on the phone, Compassion International, and I said, you know, you guys can't do this to me. You get me all tied up with this kid, and, and then you write me letters saying uh, that he's left. Just give me his forwarding address. I don't care if he's moved out of your jurisdiction. Just give me his forwarding address, and I will keep contact with him. They said, well, Mr. Mr. Harris, you, you, don't, you don't understand. This kid doesn't have an address. I mean, this is, this is, you're talking United States stuff. This is not the way this works. He lives down. If he had an address, it would be over the hill by between the rock and the creek. That's his address. His, this happens all the time. His family vacated probably because his father couldn't find a job. This happens all the time. We don't know where they left, where they went to. I remember hanging up. And I went and sat down at my, uh, closed my door, sat down at my desk, and I just started crying. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a crybaby in my old age, so if I cry, it's not big. Just say, oh, he's getting old. Um, but I started crying. And I didn't know what was going on because I thought, this is, this is stupid. I never even met this kid. What's, what, what's going on? But Matthew 6 starts ringing through my head. You know, where your, your uh, treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I didn't necessarily click in because I'm this massive, generous person. But, but you know, if, if you invest, your heart follows. And so sometimes we might say, well, you know what? I really don't feel generous in all honesty. I, 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 I don't, I probably should go down this road, but it's not necessarily an emotional thing. It's great. It's not supposed to be an emotional thing on the front end. You invest and the, the heart will follow. You know, this past week as I was thinking about uh, FAC in here, just let me rant for, for a minute because I was so so overwhelmed this week because you guys just happen to know right we live in Erie where the economy isn't the greatest right now most of us have probably felt that uh, we, we, we not a perfect church in any way shape or form if you're visiting I hate to pop your bubble but but we're not but but still we come up with a a request the need is presented from remember new remember we've got children who are at risk for being sold into the sex slavery what can you do we came up with $80,000 annually so it's not a one time thing we have homes, two in Thailand, two in Kenya, one in Myanmar. Over 60 kids who are high risk are taken care of 24-7 up through college. We're doing that. And we do without stuff or stuff. When I think of last year, remember we had the um, uh, Anna's sisters were going to, to Lancaster road trip. We didn't present that as a financial need at all. There were some gals who, who um, they, they, they weren't necessarily incredibly well off. Going would have been a stretch. We never presented it as a need, but we had several people just by saying, we're, we're sending our widows, it's going to be fun. Several people came up and said, I want to be a part of making sure that happens. And so much was given that we could send them actually two years. Remember when we did the Operation Shoebox thing last year? I mean, we're not a huge body. We came up with 700 shoeboxes. And when you, it was, it was gifts to, to kids who would not have Christmas gifts, figuring out how much these things cost. Anywhere between 10 and $20 a piece. You're dealing with about $20,000 that we just gave. Out of that, it, it, between our food pantry, between our Magi offering that we do Christmas Eve to help the uh, uh, 
the hurting and the underprivileged here in Erie. When we not mention, I didn't mention how much we give to the church to keep all of this rolling or how much we give to, to our missions uh, work. That, that's pretty substantial. Not to mention what we all give individually to, you know, Erie City Mission and crisis pregnancy stuff and Campus Crusade. And I thought... We got a lot, we got a lot of places where we need to work and grow, but I'm just so grateful that generosity, at least we're, we're saying, God, we, maybe we haven't nailed this, but we want to honor you here. I'm just grateful to be a part of, of a congregation that is there. We got work to do. We do. And maybe you are sitting here saying, yeah, well, I haven't been a part of any of those. I just want you to know you're missing out on, on the blessing, but you can be. And if you are a follower of Christ, a, a, a generous life is a blessed life. It's an approved life by him. It's where you want to be. If you're just starting out, make some commitments on the front end that from this point on, from now to the time I get to the grave, we're going to honor God with our wealth. I'm going to uh, reach out to the poor. We're going to make sure this happens. Generosity is going to be something that I am in my heart. If that's your goal... I got to guess that the Lord wants to disciple you there. You're not going to have a hard time twisting his arm. God, would you help me get there? Oh, he's going to, he wants to help you get there. Would you pray with me? Because God, I know myself, every one of these guys, we stand first and foremost in the generosity of you, of Jesus, who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Because you love, you gave. God, we know that we are here because of the generosity of a lot of folk before us who built this place, who poured into us when we were little, who made sure to finance the youth things and the things that we went on when we were young. We didn't even think about it. God, people in our lives over the years where maybe we were struggling and anonymously or in some other way, they uh, reached out to us. Thank you. Uh, God, just thank you. And Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be individuals where generosity is, is who we are. Wise generosity, mind giving and not just heart giving. So I pray you would make us that. For your sake, Jesus, for the spread of the gospel in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.
Would you stand please with me? Lord, as we go...